Hello and welcome to this episode of Doing Good Through Food, where we talk about how catering and hospitality can be a force for good in the world and for the people who work in it. You can find out more about the show and its purpose on our website, which is doinggoodthroughfood.com. Um, and the best place to engage with us, to hear about upcoming guests, to tell us what you think of what we're doing, and that kind of thing, is Twitter. Uh, we are at DGTF Podcast, so DGTF underscore podcast, or you can just find us by searching for Doing Good Through Food. This next episode is recorded in a cafe, um, so there's some background noise. I hope that that doesn't affect anybody's enjoyment of it. It's a fantastic conversation, really interesting with lots of takeaways about how catering can really really help with this uh, in this area. So there we are, and I really hope you enjoy it, and we'll jump straight into it. I'm your host, Alex Coffin, and today I'm sitting down with Andre Harriet. Andre is the founder of the Liminality Group, an organisation dedicated to preventing and reducing offending among children and young people across the United Kingdom. He's also a musician uh, who found success in the 1990s as part of the renowned British R&B band Damage, selling over two million records and touring the world. Since 2005, Andre has dedicated his life to working with young people and young adults from disadvantaged backgrounds and those at risk of offending. He holds a first-class combined degree in criminology and sociology and spent a decade as a youth justice practitioner specialising in resettlement of young people leaving custody. Andre founded the Liminality Group in 2011 to design and develop and then deliver programmes to target the huge range of factors associated with offending. Uh, his work in the field has been recognised by multiple bodies and not least the Ministry of Justice. Now part of the Liminality group, uh, Group's work is providing opportunities for private sector organisations and individuals to support and to invest in the future of these young people from disadvantaged backgrounds and communities. Recently they partnered with the street food market operators Curb to provide work placement, preparing food and serving the public which is how we came to hear of them. So we'll definitely be talking about how that's going in our conversation today. Um, so I'm delighted he agreed to appear on the show. Let's let's dive into it. Andre, welcome to Doing Good Through Food. Thank you, Alex. Great to be here. Great to be here. I, I thought I'd start, um, start by asking you, you travelled the world, you know, as I said in the, in the introduction with the group, you yeah. travelled the world with the band but you're a you're a Londoner you work across the UK mm. with your work but it's but you're based in London and it's got a London focus so Actually, I thought I'd I thought I'd ask you what does what does London mean to you so how do you perhaps when you come back how does it make you feel mm. when you're away what do you miss oh London's a, it's a phenomenal city um, whenever I travel the world whether I'm on a holiday or <clears throat> whether I'm away on business there's always an excitement when you the plane is coming into you know Heathrow, Gatwick, Stansted. Um, you, you know you, you just know that you're coming back into that vibrant city, uh, that multicultural city where you can walk down one street and have every type of food from every type of um, 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 culture you know, on just one street, which is phenomenal. Um, it's just it's a place where you can just be, you can be free, uh, you can express yourself and you can achieve, you can achieve if you push yourself and if you have the right opportunities and right access, mm. you can achieve some phenomenal things. Um, London also has an underbelly and it's, mm. it's the underbelly which is where uh, the liminality group really put a lot of our time and resources because you have the, the kind of the, the dichotomy of 
achieving great things in London and then a whole bunch of people who are really not. Mm. And uh, when it comes to children not achieving, that's really where, where my focus has been. But I love London as a city. Yeah, well, I just, uh, I thought I'd, I'd start there because it seems like you, you know, you would have had seen lots of things and had, you know, maybe the opportunity to live elsewhere or whatever, yeah. but, nope, but London's that's here. London's home, so my family that's where are, it is. This is where my networks are. That's it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not to say that in the future I may not travel and live somewhere else, no, but at the moment, my, my family, my wife, my daughter, we're blessed, we live in London, we're good. Brilliant. All right, well, I just, um, I thought I'd start with your inspiration to do what you're doing now. So yeah. you, um, you're with the group Damage, yeah. um, they have re you've reformed, you're, oh, you're with them again. Still doing it. You're still doing the thing. <laughs> but um, after the sort of first success in the 90s, you broke up in 2001, I think it was. Yes. And so at that point, I imagine you had quite a lot of options. You, yeah. you could have done a lot of things. You could have gone in all sorts of directions. Absolutely. So really, I suppose the question is, what first drew you towards social work in general and about and helping young people in particular? So, I mean, as I'm, I'm, I'm approaching, I'm 39, I'm approaching 40, and I'm going through a period of kind of really reflecting on the past, uh, let's say, 20 years of my life and looking at <clears throat> what has shaped me and what's formed me and how I can use that as a, as a kind of a, a blueprint for where I'm going in the future. So that question is very poignant because my, my mother is a social worker. Right. So um, from a very young age, I do remember her, you know, working with um, children who were... Um, uh, in the care of the local authority or mm. children who are at risk in whichever way through you know physical sexual uh, uh, psychological emotional harm so I've always grown up in a home knowing about uh, caring for children mm. um, my mother's also been a foster carer as well um, and now as I look back I realize that that has kind of definitely in my early days that, that mm. shaped this understanding of looking after children who may be less fortunate um, and creating a safe and loving environment for them to go on and succeed. So fast forward into uh, starting to travel and being damaged, um, I recognised that myself and the other four guys, were we were blessed to have this opportunity. We were very mm. talented and we are very talented, but talent alone doesn't do it. You've got to have access mm. and opportunities and you have to have some luck. Yeah. Um, and as I travelled the world, I would always just be drawn to the stories of people who were doing well or people who were not doing so well. So whether I met a multi-millionaire, I would still want to know, how did you start? You mm. And how did life get here? And how have you maintained? And if I met somebody who was really uh, in, in a very dire situation, I would want to speak some positivity into their life and say, you know, mm. come to the show or let's sit down and talk for half an hour or an hour and let me just see what I can impart. Mm. So after traveling the world and coming back home, um, as you said, I had lots of op options. The natural one would have been to progress into the music industry. There's maybe an A&R or speci yeah, specialising in having my own record label. So that, that was my sort of thought. You know, yeah. I was thinking you, your whole life was in music from from really young. From very young, yeah. I was in you know musicals and performing arts um, from very young. Went to Sylvia Young Performing mm. Arts School. Appeared in Porgy, Be Porgy and Bess at Royal Opera House, Carl mm. Jones at um, uh, the Old Vic in Waterloo, and did various things with Tony mm. Robbins. And yeah, I did a lot as a kid. But when I came home from touring, uh, I call it a calling. I just had a calling mm. on my life where <clears throat> I just realised that I wanted to work with um, children and young people. And I wanted them to be aware that internationally you can travel and you can mm. just be and do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. There are no restrictions. So. 
as long as you have a passport and as long as you have a backpack you mm. can just get on a plane if you've got some money obviously mm. and go and work in a coffee shop in Australia yeah. or you could go anywhere around Europe and just find your way through by working and have different experiences yeah. you do not have to stay in your hometown mm. so I thought I need to get that narrative out mm. um, and that kind of coincided with arriving back in London and some of my friends had gone on to do phenomenally well. Mm -hmm. Some had gotten involved in, in, in criminality. And unfortunately, some were dead. Right. And um, <clears throat> when, you, when, you, when you kind of look at that and you realize that, you know, I grew up in London in an urban environment. We, we escaped that because of our mm. talent and because of our ability to sing and perform. And the opportunities. And the opportunities yeah. and the access. Mm. We escaped that statistic mm. um, of being young Af uh, African Caribbean males in London. Five of us, statistically, one of us mm. would have got into some form of problems with the police right. or somebody. That's not because of out of our own doing. That's just we know that African Caribbean boys, especially in a London environment, are um, the ones who are disproportionately represented in the criminal justice system. Mm. Lamy's review has just, you know, kind of brought that uh, uh, back to the forefront yeah. so we can talk about that. Sure. So all of those things let me realize that I had a story that these young people could engage with. Mm -hmm. And I, rather than go off and become a banker and make money for myself or go into the record industry, yeah. I wanted to do something which was about social impact and doing mm. something positive. And it was just a calling, so I just got involved. And it, so at the outset, that was volunteering, wasn't it? You, volunteering. You volunteering. I started volunteering. I was very fortunate. I was still DJing. I'd built a DJ career for myself at the back end of Damage. So I was still able to fund my my you know my day-to-day -day living. Mm. Um, but I started volunteering with a charity called Rainer. Right. And Rainer um, formed with Crime Concern uh, many years uh, ago and created Catch-22, which is mm -hmm. one of the leading charities for children and young people in the UK. So I worked with them for about a year, year and a half, and um, absolutely free. I was volunteering, mm. but it was a, a, a you know a real kind of learning curve for me to work with young people who were in custody in prison. Right. And I became a mentor for them, helping okay. them when they came out to put their plans in place through education, locate housing. We call it resettlement, so helping them yeah. to resettle back okay. into the community. I was then seconded into a youth offending service in London, mm -hmm. and that's really where I kind of did my you know, 10,000, 30,000 hours, whatever you want to call it, I've really kind of just honed in my craft. I didn't use music. I never told the kids I was in a band. Right. I just spoke about having the opportunities to travel the world at a mm -hmm. very young age. And I just wanted to understand what makes young people offend and what are some of the solutions to prevent or reduce it and what system is in place to manage this. And that's where you come across the Youth Offending Service, mm. Young Offender Custodial Institutions, the relationships between statutory, third sector and public sector, and, and what we're all trying to do to keep these children safe. Okay. And so the, imagine that, that you, you're soaking all of this up, Absolutely. and then, and then uh, then you went to study. Is that, did that yes. Where did that fit into So that? I spent maybe three years as a resettlement officer, yeah. and I began working with some very high-risk young people, boys and girls, who were convicted for very serious offences, uh, violence, sexual offences, weapons, etc. And honestly, out of ten children, eight of them, <laughs> I would say, have made a mistake. Right. They've made an awful mistake. Just one of those kind of they've like one of those moments. One of those moments. But I mean, if you look back in their lives, you will see there were little triggers. You know, mm -hmm. Whether they've come from environments that were not the best, or whether they've come from homes that were very stable, but they just didn't have the love that they, they needed mm. because parents were always working. There are so many factors. Mm. 
but then eventually there was some point eventually, that it could have gone one way and it went a, another. There was a tipping point and something yeah. happened and, and, and an offence was committed. And um, I, I realised uh, throughout that work that I couldn't blag this, do you know what I mean? You can't kind of just come from music where you've achieved so much and then just walk around saying, well, I'm kind of like a youth worker. At some mm. point that's going to dry up. At sure. some point the kids are going to want more from you. At some mm. point I have to underpin my practice in theory. Mm. That was the trigger to go to university. Okay. So um, I said, "What am I going to study?" Social work wasn't really the one for me, but I'm, I'm very—I was very interested in the mind, the the, the mind of a young person, mm. or the mind of an offender as a whole. Mm. Criminology screamed at me, and yeah. then I was also interested in um, the, the society around me and the world and how things are created and and how the two marry. And sociology just seemed perfect. Yeah. So three years dedicated to that, whilst working full time, mm-hmm. and came out of a first class honours. Congratulations! Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's a big. It was a, a mi- It was an absolute mind blowing one. I had phenomenal support from my family and my wife, and I think what really helped was me working uh, full time within the youth offending service, mm. studying full time. So my practice was constantly being refined okay. by what I was studying. Yeah. yeah, as opposed to me working with kids and then going and studying to be a plumber, you know, yeah. it would have been a disconnect. So by studying, or, or going off and studying sort of in a library and just absolutely just absorbing books. three yeah. years and then trying to come back into the industry. Mm. So by doing the two and running them uh, par- in parallel, um, my practice was sharpened and my theoretical knowledge about this industry was built. And on the back end, I came out much stronger and much more informed. And then, and that took you. I don't know, how quickly towards, did you have the idea sort of straight away that you're going to set up something of the your Liminality own? Group. Liminality yeah. Group, was that kind of formed during the studies? The Liminality Group came during my dissertation. Did it? It did. I was doing mm. my dissertation, um, <clears throat> looking at the tools which are used to risk assess, mm. um, specifically African-Caribbean boys involved in group offending, gang offending, mm. serious youth violence. And uh, the argument I was putting across is maybe the tools that we, we're using to assess their risk mm. unintentionally elevate their risk. Because if right. in a court report you write down the word gang, mm. or if you say this young person was involved in a gang, the magistrate or the Crown Court judge subconsciously or consciously will deem mm. that person more dangerous than somebody else. It's just the word gang is so loaded. It is, but it's, I guess generally it's just friends it's your well it can, it's, it's absolutely your, unless there's yeah. some form of criminal intent or unless yeah. you know you're, you're located around a specific territory or you know there are different kind of uh, identifiers which can say a young person is involved or not involved mm. but my, my dissertation was looking at are the tools that we're using to risk assess young people mm. inadvertently raising the risk of these young people and getting them higher sentences right and we came out and said it, it was I yeah. interviewed magistrates and they said yeah my <clears throat> knowledge means when I see the word gang I mm. get a little bit scared or I've become more cautious about the risks they pose to the public mm. and ultimately I want them to spend more time in custody to really work through that or I want to put more professionals around them to help mm. them um, so I, I you know I coming out of um, university with that that knowledge when I was doing my dissertation I focused on uh, lifers adult lifers mm. and they spoke about this whole concept of a life course um, where they go through this process so it's, it's, it starts with the separation from where you've come from mm-hmm. then you get into this liminal space which is a very ambiguous space don't mm-hmm. know really what's going on mm-hmm. a lot of change can happen there mm-hmm. and then you reintegrate back into the community and society mm-hmm. or back into a different position in life and it was at that moment I went 
my work is about this liminal space. Right. It's about working with children and young people and young adults mm. when they're in their most confused state where they really do not know who they are, where mm. they're going and what the future holds. And it's about us helping them to transition across mm. in, when they become a reintegrated back into society. Actually, that all makes sense. It made that, yeah. That, it's, lovely, it's great to hear it sort of set out that way. Is that, that sort of threshold moment you know, where they're kind of, like you say, they're not, someone's not formed, they're not, you know, but they they could go one way or the other. Absolutely. And it's, Absolutely. I guess, well, I guess we'll get into it, but yeah. it's, it's sort of about perhaps explaining or showing them what those choices, what, what's on the other side of what they're And giving them access yeah. and the opportunities. And here's the thing, every single one of us have been through and will continue to go through liminal stages in our lives. Mm. The difference is, is when we, you know, some of us, when you were going through that process of being unsure about who you are and what you wanted to do, a friend or a family member or an opportunity presented itself, mm. which connected you to the next stage. Mm -hmm. But what if where you're from, where you live, your network has no access to those things? Yeah, I don't, then I don't know, where are you then? Then yeah. you're stuck. Yeah. So the liminality group came out of me saying, look, I'm hearing what these lifers are saying. These lifers are saying that when they're in this middle zone, they don't know how to transition back into be to, to reintegrate in society. Mm. So then let me focus on kids and young people and see what we can do there. Okay, well let's let's um so you set up the liminality Absolutely. group. 2011 the idea came, 2013 we went you went well, since since then you've you've uh, from my understanding, is there's sort of two two sides to it. Yeah, um, and, and it's growing. The strands are yeah. growing. Yeah, <laughs> ever more complicated. Absolutely. Yeah. You, so a big part of it is prevention. So you, a big you kind of, of engaging people as young as possible. Yeah. People who are at risk. Absolutely. People who are, for you know, for whatever reason, yes, yeah, um, yeah. particularly in schools. Yeah. I think. So, um, I don't know. I suppose my my kind of. The first question that sprung to mind to me was how how do you get to work with young people in the schools? How do yeah. you how do they do you sort of go out looking for people? Do the yeah, schools how come do we to you? Them? How does it? How does so it um, we look at the schools um, uh, based on the Ofsted reports, mm -hmm. the schools which are potentially uh, in special measures or, or, or not doing as well, <clears throat> and then we start to zone in on. Uh, specific areas in London where we know there are issues mm. with um, young people offending, um, group violence, um, loss of life to young people um, and then we started to focus on those areas and we started literally to contact head teachers and I was fortunate enough to be in a position where I could just work for free for a year and that was because I was doing various different things so Schools love people to come in and inspire their their children mm. um, under the kind of the PSHE stream, but some of the schools just don't have money. Mm -hmm. So I would always say, look, let me just come in for free. Let me work. You know, let's deliver six sessions to um, um, young people, your ten most at risk young people, the ones who are either at risk of being excluded, at risk of being involved in antisocial behaviour, whether they're offending already or whether there's intergenerational offending, you know, parents, grandparents, uncles, aunties, etc. Let me have those 10 boys or girls in a room. I'll deliver six sessions with them that will be, you know, underpinned by PSHE, looking at kind of the kind of risks that are in the community and making smarter and better choices. And at the end of it, I think we'll be able to increase the retention of those kids in terms of coming to school or staying in your school mm. or reducing the likelihood of them going on to do certain things. And we proved after the first year um, 
that you know the majority the majority of children that we worked with were either still in their school placement mm. or had reported themselves feeling more confident in the community to make smarter decisions we just recently did an evaluation on our lottery program we worked with 50 very high risk children in mm. london schools 95 percent of those children are still in their placement they've not been excluded to, to pupil referral units they're still in mainstream school and does that these, mean these were people that were sort of right at the point they, of at the point of either they you know they've been on uh, fixed term exclusions already right. which means they've gone for you know three to five days already and then been re reintegrated mm. or they've been sent to other schools and reintegrated mm. but they were literally at the cusp and we know from our work that if a young person is permanently excluded from a mainstream school mm. and sent to an alternative provider a pupil referral unit etc it increases the chance of them becoming involved in criminality and ultimately will cost the public more mm. to look after them through their lifetime if they go on to become a habitual offender but so that, that's the threshold if they if they go and if they're excluded it just it's, it just changes it can i'm not saying for every child but i am saying it will increase the chance of that child going on to meet you know peers who are already involved mm. Or just to have a, a less supervision and um, people around them that have left less hopes for their for their future. Right. Um, so that's how we going back to your question. That's how that's why and how we started targeting schools. Um, and I literally worked for a year, and then we managed to secure some funding from a couple of philanthropists from the National Lottery, and we've just expanded what we're doing in schools. Um, and that's yeah, that's how TLG kind of got into working in secondary schools primarily. Okay. Um, I was going to. So, so you, you know, the ideal candidate yeah. you kind of have explained really yes. you know, is, is probably the most at risk. Yeah. Is there a is there a sort of point up to that, or is there a point beyond which it's this kind of this scheme? Somebody's sort of too involved. Well, no. I don't know whether it is it is there an no. age kind of element to no. it. No, so there are there are key transition points within education, and mm. I've identified this again through my practice, but also mm. through hundreds of young people telling us these are the points where we began to get more involved in criminality, group yeah. offending, gang offending, or violence. Year six to year seven, so as young children transition from primary school to secondary school, right. that is a key defining year. When they get into year seven, it's the first time that they're starting to mix with 16-year-old children, 15-year-old mm. children yeah. on a daily basis, who have beards, who are far more mature, yeah. uh, girls who are growing you know, in a different way and just their idea of life is far more mature than what that child is used to. Bearing in mind, just prior to the summer holidays, that child was in primary school. They were the eldest yeah. of their school. So now they're in secondary school in September. Mm. They're exposed to a whole different set of risks. So we know that by working with children in year six, we can help prepare them for when they transition into year seven. Year seven and year eight in secondary schools, from our experience, children pretty much are just finding their social groups. They're having a bit of fun. The work isn't too serious. Um, and it's really just, uh, you know, they're just growing as individuals. Mm. By the time they hit year nine, this is a defining year. Right. This is the year where we start to put more pressure on academically mm. as we prep them for year 10 and 11. We're talking sort of 13, 14. 13, 14, 14 absolutely. Yeah. And and that's the time that their, their lives outside of school become more important to them. And they start to try and find their position socially. Yeah. 
and um, that's why they need the intervention. So year nine we work with them, year ten we work with them. Year eleven's a bit tricky because that's when they're doing their GCSEs. Yeah, but sure. year nine and tens, if you can intervene and if you can show them there is a different way and you can bring home the importance of education, you can highlight the risks that are out there in the community, mm. you can help them to make smarter decisions. Mm -hmm. So they'll move on and God's willing finish you know, secondary school with a, with a kind of stronger grades and, and a better outlook about the future. Mm. One, one um, before we move on, one, one thing I was going to ask was, you know, you're, you're taking, say, the 10 most risk individuals yeah. um, in a school. Do you, are they, are they sort of individuals um, in, in a strict sense or are they, do you kind of try and take a peer group? Because, I mean, if you're just dealing with one person, you've got sort of a six, six step yep. intervention and yep. then they're kind of back into their group and yes. the rest of the group are, yes. are as they were, yeah. you know, is, is then what, what, what kind of impact have you kind of, had? Absolutely. Yeah. So do you try and take groups? So you will find um, generally that when you ask for the children mm. who are uh, in a year group, mm. who are most at risk of being excluded, mm. or who are involved in antisocial behaviour, mm. or who have already been known to statutory services such as the youth offending mm -hmm. service or who have you know siblings who are offending mm. they generally hang around together okay. in school yeah. they've already formed their groups mm. so by targeting that group um, it does one or two things it means that the intervention is is, is measured to the potential risk that those children pose mm -hmm. uh, to others or the how vulnerable they are mm -hmm. uh, in terms of harm from others but also it prevents us giving messages to children who do not need to be exposed to this kind of information mm -hmm. yeah. so you know parents do not send their children to school to hear about gangs that's not what you send your child mm -hmm. to school for so I wouldn't necessarily stand up in front of a whole assembly and deliver uh, the, the work that we do we would prefer to just target the children who have less access to opportunities, mm. there are more concerns about the risk they can go on, uh, the risk that they can cause to others, or in terms of their risk of offending. Those are the ones that you need to target, and I'll tell you why. If we get it right with those lot, mm. financially, for us as a state, it costs less, right. but also those children can go on to cause the most harm mm. in their local areas or to others. So that's, that's the that's biggest that's the biggest effect you can have that, those ones at the moment yeah. at the moment um, I said earlier we have different strands of the TLG which we'll go and talk about in a yeah. minute but um, you know if you're working with children across the school it doesn't have to have a, the focus of the, the content doesn't have to be so much about preventing them getting involved in crime etc mm. it can just be more about you know, PSHE type uh, uh, concepts just you know looking at the future how do you become um, a strong citizen you know mm. how do you contribute uh, positivity to your local community so you can teach the wider school about that mm -hmm. but all too often we do overlook the ones who potentially cause the most problems and the solution is to exclude mm. and when you exclude somebody has to pick it up somebody somewhere yeah so that's really where at the moment our specialism lies so the other strand is in um, working in custody. custody. So when when people have overstepped that threshold, they've yep. gone that route, and they they are in a young offenders Absolutely. sort of institution. That that kind of thing. I mean, how I think I can probably sort of guess from some of the answers that you've you've explained about the prevention. Yes. But, you know how how much harder is it when somebody's gone that route to convince them that there are other options yep. that there are. You know that they don't have to stay in this world that they're in. Well, we know um, the reoffending rate for young people is 
65 to 70% of young people are reoffend within the first year of leaving custody. So we know the reoffending rate is very high. Mm. Um, that does not mean um, uh, that there has not been a reduction in the seriousness of their offence or the frequency of their offence mm. or some learning hasn't taken place. Um, when you release somebody from custody and they go back to the same environment that they were living in you know, prior to their sentence, they don't have access maybe to education or to an employment opportunity. They're surrounded by the same friends. It is hard for them to disconnect from that. It's really hard. So, um, you know, we, we, we see young people who have gone on to have crime-free lives. Mm. But yes, unfortunately, we do see young people who go on to commit more serious offences or just repeat the cycle and come mm. in and out of custody. I think what the Liminality Group are very uh, uh, good at doing is working with those young people who have made who have made a decision to want to mm. change. And then we can provide support with our, our private sector partners mm. to make that change actually become a reality. But it begins with the child or the young person saying, do you know what? I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready to give this alternative crime-free life a chance. I don't want this route. That I'm I don't going. want this route, and we yeah. have to make sure that as a, as a society, that if a child or young person, and you can hear my language specifically, because I'm not working with adult offenders, I'm working with, up to 25. Is that right? So up to 25. Yeah. But generally, in custodial institutions, yeah. we're working with the under 18s at right. the moment. Um, and we potentially could be working with the 18s or 25s, but yeah. at the moment it's under 18s. Yeah. Um, as a society, we should give children an option to be able to come away from that lifestyle if they mm. if they choose to, if they want to, if they well, make and, and recognise that they're children, like you said, they're, and they need multiple chances, yeah. and they're coming through adolescence, and yeah. they're making terrible mistakes, mm. and like everybody does, like every single human being did yeah. and does, and mm. we need to provide opportunities, and not one but numerous mm. for the ones, especially in custody, who say, right, I'm ready to come out of this. Yeah. So you know. What TLG is, is great at doing, just so you can kind of get it in a snapshot, is the, the prevention and early intervention work in secondary schools is key. Mm. Um, and we target the young people who we think could potentially go on to cause harm to mm. themselves or harm to others, yeah. or those children who are most at risk of being involved in antisocial behaviour, offending, etc. We provide um, uh, uh, work experience placements during the half-term Easter and summer holidays with our private sector partners. Why? Because those holiday periods are the most vulnerable times for mm. children. They are not supervised. Mm -hmm. Many children do not have lunch during that time because if they come from low-income families, mm. they're dependent on free school meals. So mm. during holidays where there are no, there's no school, these are highly vulnerable times. And these are times yes. when children can be exploited by Criminal, criminal networks and, 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 and you know, older peers involved in mm. crime. We, we work in custodial institutions to work with the, the children and young people who are already committing those offences. Mm. And again, work with the private sector to help them as they come through the gate to reintegrate back into society. And then the last strand of what we do is working with professionals, training police officers, um, prison officers, school teachers, social workers, right. about how to effectively work with what we call contemporary youth culture. The kids from today are not the same as 10 years ago. So or even 10 years ago? They're just not the same. It's a right. whole different client group. You know, the children are far more complex. They have access to social media, which people didn't, you know, utilise 10, 15 yeah, years true, ago in the same true. way. It's changed the, the landscape of youth culture. Mm. And we also have to make sure practitioners are skilled in that way. I hope that gives you a good synopsis. I think that, that's a really, I think that that's kind of... That sums it right up. It's like, so, it's like working holistically, right? Like well, there's, there's it's no kind of a journey, one, isn't it? You're, journey. you're kind of uh, helping you know, people through. Take more all the way yeah. through adolescence. So you, you just kind of touched on the um, the partnerships, and mm. I think that's that's 
you know, I don't want to kind of, no, I, I want to give that. us enough time to kind Absolutely. of, to get, so let's do that now. Let's, um, so you were talking about partnerships um, and placements, children in, in the holidays yes. who are sort of, you know, particularly vulnerable. Yep. I know that you, you do uh, sort of work experience placements Absolutely. at that point and, um, and sort of day release type placements yes. yep. um, with, with people who are in custody yep. as well. Maybe, maybe it's just sort of could so, talk through the kinds of things. Yes, like that so let me tell you how that came about. Mm. Um, as again, well, I began my career as a resettlement officer mm. in the youth offending team. And what that basically means is that you cut through all the red tape and bureaucracy that prevent young people settling back into their community and for the transition to be as seamless as possible. Mm. So in layman's terms, a child is coming out of custody on Monday, uh, out, of, out of prison on Monday. I don't see why we have to wait two weeks to get them back into school. I think if they're released on Monday, they should be back in school on Tuesday morning or at least have the initial meeting on Tuesday morning. Yeah. I don't see why they shouldn't have their accommodation identified a few weeks or even a couple of months before they're coming out of prison. Mm. I didn't see why uh, a young person shouldn't continue their GCSEs whilst in custody. And we have the, the exam paperwork sent from the school. So what mm. we're trying to do in that role is just to make the transition far more seamless. So you jump to where I am now as the CEO and founder of Liminality Group. It's the same concept. Mm. It's how can we work with um, partners within the, the private sector or in the third sector or in the public sector to give young people access and opportunities. Mm. And um, we began looking, I started to work with one of my trustees, somebody called um, Ben Gallup, who is the um, uh, CEO and founder of Brandon Deliver, a uh, huge um, you know, brand and marketing agency in the UK. And what we started to get straight away was um, the lack of diversity in mm. the, the creative industries. Right. So you have all these, you know, top brands trying to pitch their ideas or trying to access consumers between the age of maybe 16 to 24 from different mm. ethnicities. But most of the people in the boardroom are not representative of the local community. Yeah. And Ben was kind of just sitting down and saying to me, you know, I, I think that I, I could help in the sense of um, let's try and get some of these kids into where we work mm. and let's expose them to what we do. Many young people think that you have to put on a suit and tie to go to work mm. or they think that you have to go down the traditional employment route, i.e. a plumber or retail or health and social care, but there are mm. so many other roles out there. So we began working with Brand and Deliver and uh, that was successful for two years. I think we had about, about six to eight young people come through during the summer holidays. Mm -hmm fully funded by um, Brand and Deliver right. um, and um, and they would leave with a reference from the CEO of Brand and Deliver from us and they'd be able to go back to school and say over the summer I did work experience working on Sony Pictures new film or working on you know I'm not going to name all the brands but working hmm. on phenomenal brands out of that um, I have a very close relationship, a friendship, sorry, with um, Simon uh, Mitchell, mm. who is the managing director of Curb. Yeah. And Simon then introduced me to Petra, mm -hmm. who's the founder of Curb. We had a similar conversation to you know what I had with Ben, and Petra said, "Look, I, I want to um, increase the social impact of Curb, mm -hmm. especially for the client group you're working with." and I'm opening the, the doors of Curb. We have trainers all across London, mm -hmm. and I think they'd be willing to take kids out of school during the summer holidays, the Easter half term. Mm -hmm. And I also think they'd be willing to take guys out of prison on day release, mm. or those who are released <coughs> into permanent jobs. Those are the partnerships that mm -hmm. make a difference. They make an absolute difference. So that that's kind of where you can 
make all of this a reality, sort of not just tell them, but well, show you, them. Absolutely, you've spent, you spent the best part of the term in mm. schools talking to children about how they can change their behaviour and their mm. attitudes and what life can be like, you know, a crime-free life mm. or the importance of education. And then you actually take them into a private sector, um, um, and a private sector industry like the catering industry, street food industry. Mm. Or, or the creative industries, and they can see it come to reality. Mm. So, okay, so that person's head of partnerships, what do they actually do? Well, they bring different partnerships together for the benefit mm. of the organization. Okay, that's head of accounts, what do they do? Mm. Well, basically, they could be maths, so they had to really study maths at school, so they could understand how to run, you know, the, the money in the business. Mm. Okay, so that person's a project worker, well, what do they do? Well, they, they look after the events, and when we put on huge events, this is what they do. Mm. So this is Petra, so what does she do? Well, she's the founder of everything that you see across the month, it just blows their mind. Yeah. They go back to school and they say to their peers, I have a vision now, I know why these lessons are important. Well, they come out of custody and they say, I found an, I found an industry where I can be invisible. People do not know my offense. They don't know that I was released from custody. They don't even know that I'm going back to prison tonight if I'm on day release. But I've got an opportunity to have a new identity, to be myself, and to create a new network mm. and just be seen as a as an individual themselves just a person absolutely listen I'm not uh, I don't want to kind of put the idea across that <coughs> the world is no it's like, I don't want to put the idea across that the world is an absolutely uh, you know beautiful crime free place there are issues in our society yeah. and custody is there for those people who are the most high risk and can cause the most harm to the public we always have to be thinking about how we protect the public mm. and how that kind of underpins our work but for the children and young people who who do want to change, we need to have these partnerships to help that make make that a reality. I, I think I read something you said um, about catering being, uh, or the partnership with Curve being being sort of particularly good for a lot of a lot of the young people that you deal with. In that there's a creative element, Do you know. So I guess very similar to Brandon to Deliver. Yeah. Which is entirely creative, but oh. you, but, but having that sort of outlet, absolutely. Um, you can you, you can come into Curve. As, <coughs> so, there are so many traders in Curve who have come from normal office jobs, and they've got some funding. They've set up their own food stall. They've they've you know selected food that they're most interested in. So you can have somebody who's English serving <coughs> Indian food or Malaysian food or Thai food, or you can have somebody who's Australian serving burritos. It just doesn't matter. Whatever whatever you like, whatever you want to do. <coughs> Uh, the street food industry is there to just welcome people and I think for young people especially um, and young people leaving custody it's almost like a pipeline mm. for these for these traders to access this new talent you know and I, I think that's um, I think that's not unique to street food I mean I, one of the things I want to kind of absolutely sort of stress you know particularly the kind of people that might be listening to yeah. this is that they you know they are catering in general is is attracts the people from all sorts of backgrounds. Of it's an open sort of industry where you can you can get on if you want to if you work hard, yeah. if you kind of if you put the hours put in the hours you in, can if go you and care about people, all that stuff. Absolutely. You can you can do it. Yeah. So I mean I've seen that the work that they've they've done over with um, you know Bad Boys Bakery. Yeah. Um, and I've seen what's happened with the clink as well. Yeah. But my my main um, inspiration for what we're doing in terms of uh, working with the street food industry is what they're doing in, in LA, the Homeboy, Homeboy Industries, okay. which is a huge uh, uh, bakery, which has been going since the early 1990s, right. and it really, it was, it was set up to work with LA gang members, mm. and they've worked with 
tens of thousands of gang members providing therapeutic interventions, um, education, um, you know, psychological support, anything that that, that mm. person needs to stay out of the gang. And it's all underpinned by this bakery and these mm. products and the food that they put out. And when I saw that online a couple of years ago, I thought, I really like that mm. because you can have people front of house serving or you can have people at the back who are not as competent in customer relations, mm. but they can have a full-time job. They yeah. can leave prison or they can they can come out of school and they can get straight into a job. And that's really um, that's They've really got, why the mm. partnership for me with Curb and especially Brand and Deliver is starting to build and I'm, mm. I'm building more contacts in the catering industry because it's, it's just an open playing field for our mm. client group. Absolutely. So, if um, if anybody's listening to this and you sort of you know wants to, to hear more from from that background, you know, for sort of might be interested in providing placements. Absolutely. Are you all ears? You absolutely. Just, we're just, open. Just Look, get in touch. This is this is how it, how it works for the children in school. So we're we're building our partnerships um, within the community so that we can take you know at the moment we probably have two to five children during a half term period working with our partners mm -hmm. but we aim to have 10 or 15 partners on board who can take you know many more children through the summer half term and easter for the young people leaving custody the young men and women leaving prison if you want to have somebody out for the day we have access to that we have access to people who, who have been deemed eligible to come out for the day and work experience placements mm -hmm. or we just have networks of people who are connected to the young people leaving custody after they've sent after they've completed their sentence and generally they, they come out to plans which sometimes do, do just fall down mm. so if you can offer a placement to somebody um, work experience or paid um, yeah we definitely have the the, um, the the networks to be able to make that happen and they will be you know they're prior to coming to you they've been screened they've been supported they're ready to mm. take the opportunity they're not coming out as somebody's going to cause a problem they're, they're ready to engage and they've made that decision to turn things around okay and I think with with Curb, you you ran a sort of trial period to Absolutely. make sure it worked. So I yeah. guess you'd, I guess if somebody was interested, they could they could do something along those yes. lines. Yes, no, yeah. it, it has to be a trial. It has to be a trial for us as the liminality course, group. Yeah. So for me, I'm working with children and young people. So mm. I need to know whoever we're partnering with has integrity at the core of what they do. Mm. It's focused on caring for these young people. I'm not just mm. going to bring somebody into your industry or into your restaurant mm. or into your you know into, uh, into your business and to kind of just dump them there and, and mm. let you work with them as you've yeah. got duty of care as I well, have a duty of thank you yeah. I have a duty of care to the child or the young person but also they will talk mm. to their peers and if we put them in placements which are not suitable they mm. will tell their peers that it, it, it was a load of rubbish yeah, and don't do it yeah and then what that does ultimately is it impacts our ability to prevent or reduce offending in the future because people the young people will not want to engage with the industry okay mm. um and I guess you you would talk through with anybody who's interested the kind of the kinds of placements that would be most suitable, the sort of, sort of support they need to provide, all, all of that kind of stuff. They could they could talk with you. If Absolutely, interested. we have the the models in place, the blueprints in place. It's, it's been achieved and it's currently being achieved with Curb. Um, what what's really important is that we don't get tied down in the, the bureaucracy and have meetings upon meetings upon meetings that actually mean nothing and the young just take up time just take up time and the young yeah. people do not get to come and see what's actually happening we'll bring them down for the day or they'll come out for the day the young people who leave custody are normally with a, a prison officer mm -hmm. um, plain clothes officer so it's not you know nobody in the public will know and the kids who come during the summer holidays um, we have mentors that take them out to the placements mm -hmm. um, and it's just a, you know it's a small step-by-step -step process until 
our, our partner or ourselves say, look, let's do this more long term. But every child that we've placed and every young person we've placed, they've done phenomenally well. One has a full-time job now with a trader. And um, as I said, we've had many children come out from school and um, they've done phenomenally well within their, their holiday periods. And we know that we've prevented them being in very uh, vulnerable situations just by partnering uh, during vulnerable times. Or if anybody's listening and, and yes. thinks they can can do anything or even possibly do anything to help, I hope they will get in touch. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I would like to kind of carry on chatting, but I'm really conscious of time. I think yeah. we have to wrap this up yes, we'll, for you. Uh, we're, we're getting near to where you need to. No problem. You need to be elsewhere. But well, I um, hope we've uh, we've got out as, as much as you need for us to get out. Well, let, let me just wrap it up. I, I'll ask you. Uh, Ask a, I've got sort of questions I like to just ask people Fine. to more more general sorts of things. Fine. And I was thinking you were um, part of the uh, prevention sort of course that you run is about music and yes. and the sort of um, uh, the impression that people get from that from certain artists and certain kind of uh, you know of masculinity and all, all those sorts of mm. things. But I was thinking what. So what artists do you think are doing the most to provide a positive role model? Is there anybody that you think they're doing they're doing something good? I think it'd be it'd be it's important for me just to keep it neutral. There are people mm. doing there are people doing great things for, for young people and there are some people globally mm. through their music causing harm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't want to pinpoint anybody in, in particular. Okay. <laughs> um, then let's just say, if you could pick up the phone and talk to your twenty-year-old self, I yes. guess, guess you would have been what sort of late nineties. Yes. That would have been right in the midst yeah. of damage. What would you yeah. say to him? It's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be all right. It's going to yeah. work out. Um, focus. Uh, focus on what on what you're doing. Um, always push um, and strive to be the best you can be at what you're doing but breathe it's going to be okay i think that's a that's a great spot to leave it thank you i'd, I'd really like to thank you for being a guest on the show and, and for sharing your story and, and everything you're doing with tlg today um and to yeah to wish you all the best for the future with, with your you. work yeah absolutely. Um, and we were just saying if anybody wants to get in touch please yes, do please where, please where do. should they do um, that so you can go to the company website which is www.tlguk.co.uk um, and you can get in contact with um, myself um, through there. It's not obviously not direct to me, but it will come through to me. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I will only partner with people who uh, have love, integrity at the core of what they do, who can provide a quality service to these children and young people that we work with. Many of them have been affected by. Um, adults in various ways so I'm not going to bring adults around them who kind of you know can cause you know more harm moving forward um, but if you really are interested in trying to guide the steps of children and young people into your industry and give them a real opportunity um, maybe you see that you were given opportunities as well um, and that's what's put you where you are now there are so many children from disadvantaged communities and backgrounds that need the help so get in touch well if, if that is if that's speaking to you whoever that is listening that's tlguk.co.uk do do get in touch um so i want to just finish by thanking the listeners who've given their time uh, to listen to this conversation and just say i hope you found it all interesting and that some of you found it inspirational too and we'll do something with that well, thank you keep doing what you're doing blessing people in this way man oh, thank you very much i will do it <laughs>
Andre, thank you. My pleasure. Thank Everybody you. listening, thank you, and we'll see you next time.